Welcome to Real Estate Conversations with Nathan R. Mitchell, where our purpose is to empower people and help them build legacies through real estate. Real Estate Conversations is the perfect podcast for those interested in buying or selling residential or commercial property. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or a property investor, Nathan speaks with industry professionals to help you stay informed about the things that matter most to you in the real estate market. Now your host, Nathan R. Mitchell. Hey, welcome to the kickoff episode of Real Estate Conversations. I am your host, Nathan R. Mitchell. Before we get started with today's guest, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to Roy Bryant with Toginet Radio. Roy is our podcast producer. He's been an important piece of this process for us as we launch this new show. I'm excited about what the future holds for this podcast, for our guests, and for our listeners. At the end of the day, we're here to empower people with the information they need to make good real estate decisions. So whether you're a first-time home buyer that wants to know more about the mortgage loan and lending process, or you're a current investor that enjoys staying up to date on current market trends, we are going to be uber focused in the months and years ahead on empowering you with the information you want and need from practitioners in a variety of industries that are complementary to the real estate industry. By the way, if you're that first time home buyer that doesn't fully understand the mortgage lending process, you're in luck because we're going to help you get some clarity on that today. We have a great guest on today's show. Mr. Kevin Whitley of Homestar Financial is here with us. Kevin is a mortgage loan originator with Homestar Financial Corporation. Homestar, now with expanded operations in the state of Oklahoma, is a full service mortgage banker controlling every aspect of the loan process with in-house processing, underwriting, closing, and funding of each mortgage transaction. Having an in-house team separates Homestar from other companies because it is easier for Homestar mortgage lenders to communicate quickly and effectively with every department needed to close a transaction. Headquartered in Gainesville, Georgia, Homestar began its operations in April 2002. They've become a regional lender in the southeastern United States, licensed to conduct business in 35 states. Homestar's leaders and employees are among the most knowledgeable and experienced professionals in the industry. Their purpose is to maintain a strong reputation as an honest mortgage company, offering outstanding customer service, exceptional community relationships, and a high level of employee satisfaction. And with that, Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, my friend? Hey, Mr. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm great today. So glad to have you with us. And from what I hear, you just you just got back from a vacation for several days. I think you traveled to to the Branson, Missouri area with uh, with your grandchildren, members of the family. How was that experience for you now that you're back in the office and getting back in the swing of things? <laughs> well, this is uh, we are we're recovering from uh, four days with our grandkids and uh, Thursday for you. This is my Monday. So I've been playing catch up all day long, but it was well worth it. Glad to hear that you were able to to get some time away and to digress from from traditional traditional work this week. But now we're back in the office and kicking things off. And so excited to have you uh, here on the podcast with me in our first episode of Real Estate Conversation. So it's really an honor to have you here with us, Kevin. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Nathan. It's, it, first off, let me th- say thank you so much for letting us get involved. This is an exciting opportunity. And I love to hear that you're describing the intent of, of empowering people 
Uh, that is our goal and my personal goal as well. That the, the, the more that we're able to do that, the more we're helping people achieve their goals and dreams. And that's really what we're in here all about. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm a local guy. I, I live outside of Tulsa. I serve as primarily the, the Tulsa area, but I'm licensed throughout the state of Oklahoma. I've been doing this for a second or two. I guess the easiest way to say it is that uh, I can still describe to folks the old days when we used to have to go to some banker's office somewhere and fill out about a, a million forms to apply for a home loan. Uh, we've transi transitioned from that now to the point that we're able to do that over a smartphone from the, the comfort of their home. And it's a much easier process these days. So it's been a, it's been a great trip and it's been fun to see all the, the improvements and changes that make this a more enjoyable business to be involved with. Yeah, great to hear, Kevin. And of all the, the different mortgage brokers that are out there, why did you decide to join Homestar Financial? What is it sep that separates their organization from, from many others? Uh, you know, I think the number one reason for me was I knew the people at Homestar. Uh, I've, I've been around for a little bit and I've dealt with a lot of folks that, to be honest, I just did not uh, think that they were they were as enjoyable to work around or didn't share my values or my passion for helping people. Uh, we, we lived in Georgia for a number of years a, a while back, and I got to know a number of the people involved in this organization, and they're just really good people. They, they share my passion for, for helping people be successful and achieve their goals. And that was my number one reason for joining. The fact that they moved into Oklahoma recently and we were already here just seemed like a great opportunity to combine the two passions. So it's been great so far. Yeah, and that's fantastic. I mean, it's always important to um, to, to surround your people that, that have the same values as you do. It definitely makes work life easier. I've definitely found that out for myself, and I'm sure that you found that to be true for you as well. Absolutely. Kevin, let's consider a scenario you know, I, I kind of have titled this episode First Time Homebuyer Q&A with Kevin Whitley of Homestar Financial. So I want to consider a, a scenario for a moment. Someone's going to be listening to this podcast. They're going to be in the market for a new home purchase. Maybe they've agreed to meet with a local realtor tomorrow, later this week. And when that happens, one of the first questions that agent is likely to ask them is whether or not they're already working with a lender and if they're pre-qualified for a loan. So for those first-time home buyers out there, what does it mean to be pre-qualified and why is it important to, to get this done before they really begin house hunting? You know, I, there, it's, a, it's a, a great question and actually I'll try to keep this to a shorter answer because the, the truth of it is it's a pretty detailed answer. But at the end of the day, uh, when you become pre-qualified for a home, you're, you're doing a lot of things. You're actually preparing yourself for the process of buying a home. And it is a process. Uh, it also it helps you understand what you're able to afford. It helps you understand the, the process that you're going to be going through. Uh, more importantly, though, it also tells that realtor that you're not just kicking tires, that you're a serious home buyer. You're, you've done what you need to do to get ready. You understand what it's going to take and you know what you can afford to buy. It narrows it down so that the realtor now has a really good idea of what type of home that he should be showing you, what type of neighborhoods he should be showing you. And then you can go on and describe your must-haves, your love-to-haves, and the, the things that maybe aren't so important that you need to give to a professional realtor such as yourself to help him take you to the three or four or five houses that are gonna most closely match and you're ready to buy. On the last side of it, 
when you are when you're pre-qualified, you're also able to tell that seller we're serious. Our offer is serious. You don't have to put a contingency in here for us to run back and see if we can afford the house. We know what we can afford. We know what we're ready to buy. So at the end of the day, it's all about getting ready. And as you said, Nathan, getting empowered, being ready to buy that house. So for those first time home buyers that are looking to get started in that pre-qualification process, what are some of the things like, you know, maybe before they reach out to you tomorrow, what are some of the things that they should be getting together? Documents, files, those kinds of things. In your opinion, what, what are some of the things they should be getting together that really help expedite that process for them? The, generally speaking, what, what a, a professional lender or a loan originator such as myself is going to ask for is they're going to ask, once you step into the process, they're going to ask you for uh, your most recent month or two of bank statements. They're going to ask to see your most recent uh, W-2s from the last two years. And that's all just to establish what your consistent earning levels have been, uh, what your consistent spending levels have been, and it gives them an idea of how much cash you generally keep on hand in your bank. They're also going to ask you some information such as they'd like to see your W-2s for the last, maybe the last 30 days typically. And that gives them an idea of what kind of income you have coming in. And those were actually pieces of information that a professional lender is going to sit down and then start using to build up your application or your file to get an idea of what you qualify for. But the really the, the thing I recommend for most folks when they come and talk to me for the first time and, and they generally ask that question of what should we bring with me um, or what should I bring with me? In most cases, I tell them to hold off for just a little bit. Let's have a conversation first. Let's talk a little bit about where you've been, what the process looks like, and then kind of introduce you to some of the things that are going to move through this. So you're nothing surprises you. You understand what the next step is. Yeah, very, very good. That's that's fantastic information. And I wish, you know, when when I was doing my first home purchase, I wish I had access to a podcast like this and to be able to to listen to the expertise that you're bringing to to our listeners today. So thank you so much for for just being here and sharing your wealth of knowledge with the listeners today, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. So we're going to be coming up on break here in a few minutes, but we can get started uh, on this next question. So let, let's continue um, this this first time home buyer example. You know, maybe this individual has been renting for a number of years. They're they're comfortable with a certain rent payment, but have no idea where to begin regarding what they can afford on an actual home purchase. Uh, what advice can you give them on knowing how much they can afford to purchase a home? And when maybe they've been used used to renting, and you know, they look at market trends, and I think the average high, average price here in Broken Arrow right now is just shy of three hundred sixty thousand dollars. They may look at that and be like, "Wow, I can't afford that." So how do, how do they know what they can afford, Kevin? The, the, uh, in the mortgage side of the business, well, let me back up a little, a little bit. And, and Nathan, help me watch the clock on this break that's coming up as, as well. But generally, when I'm talking to a first-time homebuyer, in most cases, they are renters, as you just described. Yeah. And when I ask them about what they think they're able to afford, they'll start telling me about how much money they are bringing home every month. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell me what their rent payment is, what their car payment or car payments are, and about how much they like to spend to go out to eat or to, to play golf or whatever their hobbies or fun time may be, and about what their grocery bills or utilities bills may be. Um, in most cases, we have to take a little step back and then explain to them that 
but when it comes time for a mortgage application, the mortgage lenders have got some guidelines that they're looking for. And we don't necessarily look at how much money you are bringing home, but how much money you're grossing. And it looks like we're crowding up on a break. So maybe this might be a good time to step away for just a second and then yeah, come back into it. For sure. Great place to stop, Kevin. Everyone, you're listening to Real Estate Conversations. I'm your host with Nathan R. Mitchell. We have Kevin Whitley of Homestar Financial here with us this evening. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with you. well-known in medical practices that patients tend to lie about their health habits. They lie about how much they smoke, understate how much they drink or eat, and overstate how much they exercise. What's another word for those little white lies we like to tell in the examination room? Teradiddles. Doctors have a rule of thumb. Whatever the patient says they're drinking, smoking, or eating, multiply it by two. But it's hard to come clean about your habits when you know you're in for some jobation from the doctor. That's criticism we don't want to hear. If physicians want us to be honest with them, I suggest they try being a little less judgmental and use a little suaviloquence. That's soothing, encouraging talk. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's words you never heard. Don't you just hate it when someone starts a sentence by saying, don't take this the wrong way, but according to Elizabeth Bernstein of the Wall Street Journal, we all do this on occasion. Some people refer to these phrases as tee-ups. That seems fitting. What do you do with a golf ball? You tee it up and then give it a giant wallop. Tee-ups like, to tell you the truth, supposedly soften the blow. But if you are taking the trouble to announce your honesty now, maybe you've been telling too many teradiddles, flummery, and fiblets. Being on the wrong side of a tee-up can be confusing for the listener. What are other words for confusion and frustration? Wouldn't dream and jargoggle. Maybe it would be best to try to remain pricknickety. That means totally above board and precise. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. You're listening to Real Estate Conversations with Nathan R. Mitchell, a podcast dedicated to empowering people and building legacies through real estate. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on all the best real estate advice or simply ask Siri, Alexa, or Google to play the latest episode of Real Estate Conversations with Nathan R. Mitchell. All right. Welcome back. This is your host, Nathan Mitchell. Before we get back to our guest, Kevin Whitley, I would like to take a moment to introduce our listeners to the company Send Out Cards. If you're a business person and are looking for a unique way to build relationships and stay in front of your top prospects, consider using Send Out Cards. Greeting cards are perfect for any occasion, no matter how big or small, and Send Out Cards Relationship Development System keeps important dates top of mind by sending you helpful reminders so you can show your appreciation when it matters most. 
To learn more about Send Out Cards and how you can send your first card for free, visit realestateconversationspodcast.com and click on the Send Out Cards banner to get started today. Kevin, welcome back to the show. Right before the commercial break, uh, we were talking about how much can we afford to pay for a home? So I want to tee up this question again for you. We were talking about first-time home buyers. Maybe this individual has been renting for a number of years. They're comfortable with a certain payment, but have really no idea where to begin regarding what they can afford with an actual home purchase. So let's get back to this question. What are your thoughts on this one? Sure. Well, let's let's just kind of restart the the discussion a little bit. The, the, Perfect. The first the first conversation that that I have after we we've, we've moved beyond why are you wanting to buy a house? When are you wanting to buy a house? And help them understand what their thoughts are. The the first the first milestone or the first item we're going to check off the list is I'm going to request permission to pull a credit report. Uh, the the credit report is going to be uh, the starting point where we just kind of get an idea of where they're at. And that really gets us to a point that we're, we're going to give them the first of, of one of two answers. The, the, the question is, are we ready to buy a house? That credit report is going to be answer the question with either a yes or a not yet. And in the case of not yet, then we're going to have a conversation of what do, we, they need, what do they need to do to become ready to buy a house and how long will that take? But let's say yes. Let's say that, that the answer is yes. Their credit score looks great. Everything's in good shape there. Then we sit down and we start talking about what in the mortgage business we refer to as debt to income ratio. And you know, I hate throwing those, those uh, uh, phrases out because that's when people's eyes start glazing over. But that's one of the key metrics or the key measurements that we use in this industry. We don't base that off of what your take home pay is. We base that off of what your gross monthly income is. So we determine how much you're, bring, you're making on a gross monthly income. And then we start looking at what your expenses are. What are your car payments? What, what maybe do you have charged on credit cards or other expenses? And we're, we're looking for a, a metric there or a percentage. And, and then that percentage is going to tell us how much more we can add to that to reach your debt to income level to, to qualify for a mortgage. Generally speaking, that number is roughly around 43% in some cases can go as high as 50%. But we're, if, if you're making $1,000 a month gross, then your debt to income easily to figure is $43,430. If your income is less than that and we can add a house payment on top of it, we have an idea of about how much you can afford. And then we start backing into the payment process to get an idea of exactly how much you can afford to pay on a monthly basis. Did that make sense? No, it made total sense. And, you know, you brought up some interesting points there. One, talking about credit scores. I want to get to that later on in our uh, discussion here this afternoon. But the more the, the monthly payment, what's what's all included in the monthly uh, payment? Perfect question. Uh, in, in many people's minds, they think they're going to be making a payment, and that is maybe their principal and their interest. And just to explain what those two words mean, principal is the amount of money you owe, and the interest is the charge that the, the lender is, is has put on top of that to borrow his money. So principal and interest. The easiest way to understand what's included in a mortgage loan is an acronym, which is PITI, or P-I-T-I. P stands for principal. I stands for entrance. T stands for taxes, which are typically your annual property taxes. Those are usually paid by the mortgage company, and he will charge you for those on a monthly basis, a percentage or a one-twelfth. 
And then at the end of the year, he pays your taxes and you start paying him to save that money up to pay him again. The last one is insurance, generally homeowner's insurance. Uh, the mortgage company also will pay your homeowner's insurance and that's their way of protecting their investment in your property. So they're gonna pay your insurance for you. They're gonna take the annual bill, divide it into 12s and put that much aside out of your payment every month so that they can pay it when the annual premium comes due. Occasionally, there are some other things included in there. Maybe your annual homeowners association dues, they may be included. Or uh, some other items that we run into occasionally, maybe permanent mortgage insurance, PMI, if you're needing to borrow more than 80%, which is a little bit more conversation that maybe we'll, we want to have at this time. But the bottom line is there are some other uh, items that are included in your monthly payment beyond the principal and the interest and those are all to protect the property or pay taxes on the property. Yeah, speaking of interest real quick, would you mind to clarify just the difference between interest and APR? I mean, anybody who has applied for a credit card definitely has seen that APR number on there. Can you tell us exactly what that means and why it's uh, important? <laughs> certainly. So uh, interest rate is is basically when you, when you uh, buy a car or, or you buy a home, and they tell you they're going to give you a 6% loan or 7% or 10%, whatever the number may be. That is the number, the amount of interest they're going to charge against uh, the, the amount that they're, they're loaning you. Uh, so if it's a, uh, a, a simple, simple interest on a $100,000 loan, the interest is $7,000. And that's per year. Um, the APR actually rolls in all the other costs associated with borrowing that money and then factors them against the principal to give you a combined interest, if you will. And actually, the APR is a better uh, reflection of what that money is actually costing you. All right. Very good. Thank you for the clarification on that, Kevin. I know that our listeners will appreciate it. So so during this loan approval process, you, know, you mentioned the importance of the credit score. It really does play an important role, uh, especially regarding you know what interest rates are able to qualify. And that, that definitely plays a role in, in the purchase price of the home that they're able to, to qualify for. So can you tell us more about credit scores and maybe some best practices that we can use as consumers to improve them to, to get to where we need to be? Oh, certainly. So um, there is, there's a, a lot of misperceptions uh, about credit scores in the mortgage industry. And, and it's very common, almost a weekly uh, conversation that I have talking with a, a, a lender or a borrower rather who wants to buy a home. And, and I ask them if they have an idea of what their credit score is. And they will tell me that they looked on some website and their credit score may be 730. Uh, in the mortgage industry, we actually use all three credit bureau, credit reporting bureaus uh, to get a total credit picture. So if, if you are seeing from your credit card company or your bank statement, maybe they tell you what your credit score is at the time that you looked, that is coming from one of those three agencies. When we pull your credit score, we're going to pull a credit score from Equifax, TransUnion, and, um, and I just lost the name of the third one. I'm sorry. Um, but there are three of them. We pull all three of those rescores and they are never the same number. They're generally in the same range, but they may, if, for example, most recently today, I looked at one that ran from 724 up to 750, three different scores. 
In those cases, we're looking for three credit scores and we will use the middle of the three scores. We don't use the highest and we don't use the lowest. And that's, that is an industry standard is to use the middle of three scores. In some cases, you'll only find two scores. And if that's the case, we will use the lowest of the two scores. Um, and when we run across one from time to time where the, the borrower may only have one credit score, that actually tells us that the borrower does not have enough uh, credit information on his file at this point in time. And that becomes a not yet conversation. Let's talk about how we're going to build you up some more credit so we have at least two credit scores. FICO scores are, are, uh, are what we call them. Uh, FICO is also a credit score. I'm hoping I, oh, I didn't, I was afraid I may have just done something wrong there. Um, so the FICO score basically is, is based upon what your payment history is. It's based upon how much money you owe. It's based upon how many new credit accounts you've opened recently. It's based upon the length of your credit history. And then it's based upon the mix of credit you may have. So it's kind of a, of a combination put together, put together by the company that developed FICO uh, to give us a really good picture of what your credit looks like. What are some best practices that we can engage in to improve that score? I mean, is it making payments on time, keeping that debt to income ratio down? What are some practical tips that we can do as consumers? Sure. So number one thing that I tell, tell borrowers or potential borrowers when I'm visiting with them, it is extremely important to make your payments on time. Paying early, you don't get extra points for that. Paying late, you lose points for that, but definitely make your payments on time. The second one I tell them is if they have old credit cards that are sitting there and they have, maybe they bought furniture three years ago and they haven't used it in the last three years, it's not going to hurt you to close that account. It might help you. If you have three credit cards that, cards that you use regularly and you decide to combine it down to two, but you've been using all three regularly, it could actually hurt your credit score to turn off one of those credit cards. It might be better just to let it go dormant and not use it for a year or so and then turn it off. Uh, the most important thing that I can tell people, though, is pay your bills on time. It's it's just profoundly important that you do that. One of the worst things that we have to deal with when we're looking at a credit report is anything that has gone long enough that has become collections or has gone past 30 to 60 to 90 days. That's an indicator to a lender that they may also have a problem getting paid on their their monthly payments. So they're looking to see, are you making your bills on time? All right, Kevin, we've got one minute until the next commercial break. One, one quick question for you is you had mentioned that there are three credit bureaus that you look at. Is, is any one bureau more important than another and why? No, they, are, they okay. all three have the same weight. And I would tell you that the most important thing is to make sure that you have a credit score with all three. Um, but there is there is not one that has any preference over the others. They all use the same FICO scoring system. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. All right, everyone. This is Nathan Mitchell. You're listening to Real Estate Conversations. We have Kevin Whitley of Homestar Financial with us this evening. We got some great content coming for you. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this short break.
McMillan from Ontario, Canada, was driving to a meeting when he saw what looked like a can of cola moving around on the side of the road. Curious, he stopped to investigate and discovered a skunk had gotten its head stuck in a soda can. After a moment of abulia, or indecision, he decided to try and save the potentially woofy animal. Woofy is another word for smelly. He grabbed the can and engaged in dang-swaying, or a cooperative tug-of-war with the skunk, all the while hoping he wouldn't get sprayed. Finally, the skunk managed to pop its head out of the can and land safely on the ground. After a brief stare-down, the skunk turned and ran into the woods. What's another word for running away in fright? Funkify! It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. You're listening to Real Estate Conversations with Nathan R. Mitchell, a podcast dedicated to empowering people and building legacies through real estate. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on all the best real estate advice or simply ask Siri, Alexa, or Google to play the latest episode of Real Estate Conversations with Nathan R. Mitchell. Welcome back. This is your host, Nathan Mitchell. Before we get back to today's guest, if you're a homeowner and are thinking about selling your home but have no idea what your home could bring in today's real estate market, I'd like to encourage you to take advantage of our free comparative market analysis. A CMA will compare your home's features to properties that have recently sold in your area to help you determine your home's ideal listing price. We look at a number of factors, including location, size of the home, number of rooms, improvements that have been made, age, and overall condition of your property. A successful sale may only be a phone call away, so visit NathanRMitchell.com and click on the CMA promotional announcement at the top of our homepage to get started with your free comparative market analysis today. Kevin, welcome back to the show. You bet. All right, great content so far. I know our listeners are getting a lot of value out of this discussion today. You know, One of the things we've talked about was credit reports right before the commercial break, um, credit scores. You talked about down payment. How much do we need for a down payment? And one of the things that you mentioned was PMI, which is which is mortgage insurance. And you mentioned this, this percent, 20%, that if you don't have 20% of the purchase price of the home to put down as a down payment, you're responsible for PMI. So how does that vary? You know, what we need as a down payment, depending upon the different loan types that we're looking for as a consumer. Sure, sure, sure. Well, do you mind if, if, and I hate to do this, Nathan, but if I step back just a minute, just to make one closing comment on credit scores, one of the other questions that we get asked a lot is what is the minimum credit score that we need to have in order to qualify for a home? Mm, Great question. And I totally forgot to mention that, but generally speaking, the, the low range that we look for is around 620. Uh, However, there are loan programs out there that will accommodate credit scores down to the 580, maybe even as low as 560. But 620 is really the point that we're looking at for most standard loan products to be able to qualify for a mortgage. I just wanted to throw that in. I hope you don't mind. No, absolutely not. I appreciate it. Thank you for the clarification. So down payments, uh, you're, we're kind of, 
I was thinking about this as we were, as I was getting ready for this earlier this afternoon, you know, a lot of times when you get ready to talk about mortgages with folks, their eyes start glazing over and uh, trying to find a way to, to uh, share my enthusiasm without talking too fast about these things can be, can be a challenge, but down payment, the, the, the standard answer on down payments is that if you can uh, save up or you can uh, find your way, find a way to handle up to 20% of the amount of purchase over the transaction. So once again, let's use for an illustration, let's say you were buying a $100,000 home. If you have 20% to put down on that home, that is fantastic or more. That is even more fantastic. Uh, if you don't have 20%, it doesn't stop the show. You can still get a mortgage with less than 20% down. Uh, the, the, the magic number of 20% in the mortgage business is basically the point where we determine whether or not we're going to need to include permanent mortgage insurance as part of that monthly payment. So what is permanent mortgage insurance? Permanent mortgage insurance insures the lender in the event that the house goes into default or for some reason they have to take possession of that house back when they put that house for sale on the market, if they sell it for less than the amount of the mortgage or the amount that's owed on the house, that permanent mortgage insurance covers the difference between what they were able to sell it for and how much was actually owed. I hope that made sense. No, totally makes sense. So let's assume that I'm a first time home buyer and I don't have 20% to put down on a home. Am I just out of the market or are there other options that are available to me? Oh, no, there there are, are options that are available all the way down to zero down payment. There are a number of programs out there uh, that that help home buyers get into homes with less than 20 percent down. Uh, and those go from USDA loans that require zero down all the way up to conventional mortgages where they're going to be looking for 20 percent down. I would say in most cases where we're looking with folks that, that don't have the 20% down, we, we generally find ourselves in a conversation about a zero down loan or maybe a three to three and a half percent down loan. But in all cases, very doable. All right. Great to hear about those options for those that don't have the 20% to put down on a home. Uh, lot, lots of costs involved, right, in, in, in home purchases. What about there closing? Are. What about closing costs? You know, how much are they and, and what, what can we do to, to lower them? Can you talk a little bit about that for our listeners? Sure. So closing costs. So first is what is a closing cost? Uh, and closing costs are, are basically included in, in what you'll see coming from a lender in, in one of our disclosures that we send out that, that uh, kind of falls under a category that, that's basically called cash due at closing. In other words, how much money do you need to bring to the title office to close this loan, to sign the note, get the keys from the house, and when you leave, that is now your home. Closing costs are actually composed of a number of different items. Um, on, on the top of that list of items is something that's referred to as an ori origination, a loan origination amount, uh, and that is generally a percentage of the loan, and it varies anywhere from typically around maybe three quarters of 1%, up to as much as 3.5% of the loan amount, depending upon really how, how the loan is set up and which loan program has to be used to help that borrower, that buyer get into that house. Uh, obviously our goal is to get them in there with as little money as possible to help them get into that home. 
so the first one I would say is it, be aware of something called origination points or origination costs. Uh, the next one is a processing fee and then an underwriting fee. And when you see those two numbers on there, those numbers are basically the cost uh, on the administrative side of processing that loan, reviewing that loan, submitting that loan. That pays the salaries of the people that are doing that work. Uh, some other fees that you'll see included when you, as far as cash to close or, or closing costs, uh, things that are going to have to be required to record the title or to transfer the title from one person to another. There's there's administrative fees charged by the counties and by the states for doing that. That will be included in there. Other fees that you'll see on your closing costs are going to be your first year premium of your homeowner's insurance. You have to bring that to pay that up front and then they'll start taking your next year's payment as part of your monthly payment to build up for the next year's payment. If there's a PMI or permanent mortgage insurance requirement, that monthly fee will be in there. Uh, any prepaid interest at the closing time, basically, if, if they're uh, because of the timing of the closing, there's some interest that's accrued on the note from the time it was locked. There's some additional fees in there for that. Property taxes. There's just a number of different fees that roll in there. And a lot of those fees are actually fees that the borrower can control. Um, there are a few fees that the borrower can control. And those would fall into typically into the, the fees associated with the title work on that. Uh, since all title companies generally operate under the same guidelines, at the end of the day, it's okay for the, the borrower or the buyer to shop for the best deal on getting their title closed. We have folks that we recommend or that we work with regularly just because we know them. But if you know of someone that can do it, uh, that would include document preparation, the lender's title insurance, settlement fees, title examination, and title search are all some fees that the borrower or the buyer can shop for. All right, very good. Lot, lots of information there, Kevin. Um, going back to our, our, our first time home buyer example, we were talking about interest rates earlier. And you know, if they're a first time home buyer, more than likely, if, you know, if they're not still living at home or something like that, they've been in the renting market for for a certain amount of time. You know, I know as as a lender, you're constantly watching interest rates. They keep inching and inching towards eight percent. You know, if you're a new home buyer out there, is it better to rent until interest rates go down? What are your thoughts on that right now? Mm. That's a that is really uh, from my perspective. That's a really uh, personal preference question. Uh, personally, I think that unless interest rates become completely exorbitant, which we are not anywhere close to being there yet, but in, it, it, unless interest rates become completely exorbitant, it's always a great time to buy. the the th the The thing about renting a home is if you're in in that space and you're comfortable in that space. You like the fact that you're paying a monthly fee and somebody else is handling all the maintenance, handling the lawns, and all you have to deal with is finding your parking space when you come in after work at the end of the day, then maybe renting is better for you. But most of the people that we talk to that have decided to stop renting and start buying a house, they're doing that because they now want to have their own space. They realize that they're investing in something that's going to grow in value. And also they're getting something for their their uh, monthly payment that they were not getting on the rental. And maybe that's something as simple as a, a tax write off. And I'm not a, I'm not an accountant or a tax specialist, but but generally speaking, 
typically there is a tax write-off for that interest that you're paying so that you're getting something back for the amount you're paying every month instead of just renting the space between a few walls. Most importantly to me and to a lot of people is you're also investing in a piece of property that's growing in value. So if the time comes or when the time comes that you want to move to a larger house or to another house or another town, that money that you paid for that house in most cases is now an investment and you're going to get a return on equity that just grew because the house value is more than it was when you bought it. Great point. Great point. Yes. Home purchase is definitely an investment and definitely something to consider. Uh, Kevin, I want to finish up here with you this afternoon. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and to get connected with you to start this, this mortgage lending process that this is indeed a road that, that they want to walk down? Well, the first thing I would tell you is that uh, it's, it's very important to keep in mind that, that what we do uh, as in the lending world is all very closely regulated by the government. And all that is done for the consumer's protection. So the thing I know I went through some technical issues or some technical uh, discussions here that may have become a little uh, confusing. The good news is, is that, that we disclose all that information, communicate all that information so folks are aware of it. So how do you find out about that? It's real simple. Give me a call. Uh, I, I, I don't have any issue at all sharing my number and generally take calls up to about nine o'clock at night or as early as six o'clock in the morning. That phone number is 918-373-6109. And anybody with any questions at all are welcome to give me a call. In addition to that, you're, you're welcome to find me on Facebook under Kevin Whitley Home Loans or under Oklahoma Mortgage Question and Answer. And I would give out my audience, Kevin.Whitley at homestarfc for financialcorporation.com. That's kevin.whitley at homestarfc.com. And I would love to respond to any questions or any concerns anybody might have. Well, once again, Kevin, thank you so much for joining the show this afternoon. Great talking to you. Great information for our listeners. It's really been a joy having you on this this first episode of of the podcast. Thanks so much, Nathan. Thank you so much. And everyone like to let you know that our next episode of Real Estate Conversations, I'll be interviewing Taylor Adney of Prime Home Inspections in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. So if you're a buyer and are currently in the market for a new home, but don't fully understand why home inspections are important and what professional home inspectors look for during an inspection, Taylor will be speaking to that and much, much more. So make sure you subscribe to Real Estate Conversations podcast today so that you are notified each time a new episode is available for download. You'll definitely don't want to miss uh, my conversation with Taylor Adney of Prime Home Inspections coming soon. Take care. You've been listening to Real Estate Conversations with Nathan R. Mitchell. The content shared on this podcast is intended for informational purposes only. It's important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional or independently research and verify any information presented on this show, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise.